Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace here dropping in on you. Hope everybody is having a great week to this point. Uh, again, this is a very busy time of the year. We are trying to get some things done. Uh, it's also an exciting time because of uh, the anticipation of what's possible, what we are capable of doing as a people, as families, as individuals, uh, we should have a clear idea of where we're headed. What are we going to do as an individual? What are we going to do as business owners? What are we going to do as husbands, as wives, as families, uh, as a race, as a collective? It needs to be clear. One of the things that hinders progress is the lack of a clear vision. So I work hard uh, to uh, challenge our people to develop visions for themselves as individuals, for them, for their families, for their children, for their communities, and ultimately for the race. Sitting around, hoping, waiting, wishing, and and trying to shame people who have uh, historically wronged us into doing right by us uh, has no efficacy whatsoever. Uh, and so, I'm excited about what we're doing. Uh, with my business endeavors with Rick Wallace Enterprises, also what we're doing at the Odyssey Project as far as the black community initiatives and things we're doing there. Uh, it requires work, it requires consistency, it requires focus. So uh, this is an ongoing thing and it takes a great deal of commitment, but I'm excited about where we're headed. I'm believing and I am uh, doing everything I can to be a contributor to the advancement of my people. I have talked to you guys over the last week and a half or so about my project with uh, Building Black Wealth, uh, the book, which is my 25th book. And I've talked to you about how you can sponsor the book. Uh, but what I decided to do is I decided to take you inside the book on a one so, sort of invite you in. And we're going to take a, a tour of what the book like through a series of videos. We're going to talk about some of the content in the book so that you can get an awareness of why this book is so monumental and so important. Because when we talk about wait, uh, we talk about wealth building in the black community, you hear a lot of talk, people talk about uh, black group, group economics and vertical black group economics is a major element and component of building black wealth. You hear people talk about buying black, buying black and all of that stuff, black group economics and, and all of that. And understanding about business ownership is important. Uh, understanding about investment is important. All these things are relevant and important to the idea of building wealth. However, there are a bunch of other things that are at play that if you are not aware of them, you can have a very frustrating uh, experience in the attempt to build wealth on a personal level, as well as where we are as a collective. Hello, Mary. Uh, and uh, look, so what I'm going to do is, first of all, tell you about the sponsorships. Look, um, if you follow me, you already know what I've a lot, what I've decided to do with book number 25, which to me is a milestone. And I want to celebrate it by doing things differently. Also, by inviting my community, my tribe in to be a part of what we're doing in this project, because it's not just the book. The book is going to be the blueprint for what we need to do next. It's not just about. It's not just about uh, sitting up and talking about it 
and theorizing. It's about, okay, here's the next step. We have to take it. Uh, I teach my clients at, at, uh, at Master Fitness 21, at the Visionetics Institute, uh, at Odyssey Media Group, my clients, you have to take the step. Knowing what you need to do means absolutely nothing if you're not doing it. And you have to take the step. You can't wait on perfection. You can't wait on the perfect timing. You can't wait on all the stars to align. You've got to be the force behind the alignment. And so uh, that's what this book is about. But the sponsorship will allow anybody who wants to sponsor. I don't care if it's 50 cents or if it's $1,000, you're going to be able to sponsor it. And every person who sponsors, regardless of the amount, will have their name published in the book along with a paragraph or a sentence or whatever you want to do, memorializing somebody you care about. Now, if you sponsor $25 or more, you get the book. Uh, if you sponsor $100 or more, you get a dedicated page, meaning that your name and your memorial is on a page by itself. If you sponsor 500 or more, you get the dedicated page and you get to submit an image. It needs to be a high quality Im image that can be made out, but you get to submit an image of the person that you want to memorialize. Uh, and there's a link and ex explanation in the description box. Uh, if you're familiar with what I'm talking about, if you've heard me talk about it before and you just want to jump on it, uh, in the chat, there's a link. You can go just straight and go do it. You don't have to go to the page. On the page, there's a video explaining the sponsorship in detail. There's also a write-up on it. But you don't have to do that. If you want to take the link and just go straight there and sponsor it, that's fine. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about why we're here in the first place. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about uh, the way I set the book up. The way I set the book up is to address a lot of the issues that most people don't talk about when they talk about building black wealth. Uh, one of the things that comes out of the discussion of black wealth, especially when it's either blacks who aren't aware of our history and how our history plays into where we are economically and financially, uh, or it's non-blacks uh, gaslighting or just behaving ignorantly, meaning they don't understand and they don't know. Okay. Uh, the, the, the notion is, if you listen, listen around, the notion is it's been 150 plus years, uh, 151, I mean, 156 years uh, since Blacks were emancipated. Well, first of all, we need to define emancipated. We were quasi-emancipated. We were quasi-free, meaning that we really weren't free. It was the illusion of freedom. We were no longer on plantations being held in bondage and in, as chattel property, but uh, we were a long way from being liberated. We were a long way from being free. We're still a long way from being totally liberated. Uh, we have a lot of freedom of movement. We have a lot of freedom of opportunity and choice, but there are some things that still impact us and still ways we're being exploited and used, and we need to understand that. Okay, well, let's go back to uh, 1865. Now, I've talked often about the 12 years from 1865 to... Uh, 1877, which is the 12 years known as Reconstruction. Uh, I'm going to do uh, a video on Reconstruction in and of itself, but I want to kind of move past Reconstruction while still in. In other words, I want to start at 1865, but I don't want to talk about Reconstruction itself. I want to talk about the Black Codes because we're talking about the building of Black wealth and why Blacks, after 150 plus years, still haven't really gained any type of ground economically 
when you look at what we do, we have more money. Yeah. But so does everybody else so, because everybody else's money expanded. So we don't look at how much money we have. And that's what people don't understand. They talk about one point three, one point four, one point five, all, all the way up to uh, a projected one point six trillion dollar uh, spending power. And they talk about it as, you know, if we compare that to nations, we'd be the ninth wealthiest nation in the world and all that stuff. But what you don't understand is uh, there are a bunch of uh, unclear variables that are never talked about when we talk about the 1.3 trillion. And I'm going to get into that later on in the book. But what we have to understand is if you want to understand power, power is not about how much money you have or how much economic power you have, how much economic uh weight you have so let's just narrow economic weight down to money to keep it simple how power isn't about okay we have a million dollars power is about where do you stand in the total realm of what everybody has if you have a million dollars but everybody else has at least 50 million and more you don't have any power you have a million dollars sounds like a lot to everybody else based on what most people think but as a group where do we rank? Well, we know for a fact in median wealth, whites uh, have a median household wealth of about $140,000, give or take, depending on what study you look at. Uh, next, closing the gap rapidly as far as median household wealth are Asians closing in on 100000 and they're closing the gap fast. They are the highest earners in the country already, and they're closing the gap. But they don't appear to be a threat to whites because their numbers are so small. So come on down. We are down here, depending on the study, anywhere from 17,000 per house, uh, median household wealth down to under 10,000 median household wealth. So obviously there's this big, great gap. And the thing is, if you really study it, it's widening, it's not getting small. We're not closing the gap. So then if we're not closing the gap and we're supposedly having equal opportunity and we are supposedly in a situation where everything is equal and you know we're working hard we're showing up we're putting in the effort we're trying to build we're trying to buy houses we're trying to do a bunch of things all the things that we're told that are contributing to wealth building wealth we're trying to do it but the, the, the gap is widening there has to be an explanation why there's no such thing as a coincidence uh that's cause and effect always at play if something is happening, there's a reason it happens. You have to know the reason so that you can address it. If you don't understand the reason, you won't be able to address it. You will become frustrated by your reality and you will either act out without without knowledge and end up putting yourself in a, a, a worse situation or you will succumb to it with, with what is known as learned helplessness, meaning you will simply accept poverty as your light in life. You will accept powers, powerlessness as your light in life. You will sit up and you will come to a point where you will simply not believe you can do anything but exist. And you will start to beg those who are in power for certain privileges because you never see yourself producing power. So this is what this book will start out talking about is these mechanisms. Well, what I want to talk about in from 1865 moving forward are the black codes. That's what this particular video is in the series. It's talking about the black codes, and it's going to be uh, one of the first things we get off into in the book is black codes. Black codes actually existed before slavery ended, but we, those aren't the black codes we're going to really get into, but the, the black codes that existed uh, during slavery was blacks, blacks were not allowed to learn to read and write, 
they could not come together and fellowship and worship on their own. That kind of changed. Initially, they had to be with their master if they want to attend service because they had to be told and taught what and how they fitted into the Christian religion, which was the predominance of what was being taught. But eventually they brought along the black preacher, trained the black preacher, told the black preacher what they could preach about, what they couldn't preach about. And they were used as the medium and the measurement to control the black slave population on the thing. Now, what we know during slavery is the black codes were actually stricter on freedmen than they were on slaves. Why? Slaves had masters to control them. Freedmen were moving around. So their restrictions and the things that they could and could not do were very heavily guarded, especially in the South, but also in the North. What I want to talk about is the black codes that came about after slavery. Well, see, after slavery, now every black person is a threat. They no longer can we not, no, not only can we no longer exploit them for free labor, now they're going to be competing with us for opportunities. And since we made them do more, almost all of the work, they're more skilled in many of the trades. So they're going to get the jobs. So they came up with black codes. Now, the first thing is we have the plantation owners who have plantations and nobody to work them. So what do they do? They come up with vagrancy laws. Vagrancy laws are basically things that stipulated that you have to be employed or you can be imprisoned. Uh, and so uh, they had widespread, what they call far-reaching widespread vagrancy laws. In, in, in other words, in some instances, uh, you had to prove annually that you were gainfully employed. If not, you could be served, you could serve a prison uh, term up to 12 years for great vagrancy. Now, here's the thing. They would turn around after imprisoning you and then lease you back out to plantation owners for pennies on the dollar. So again, they're getting virtually free labor. You're back on the plantation you were freed from, but now as a prisoner and not a slave, 13th Amendment, but you're back out there and you're doing the work. These are some of the black codes that came up. Uh, and so what happens is blacks were not allowed to start businesses. Black was not alone in this. But it, uh, the black codes didn't just stop there. The black codes also went off into outlawing blacks from working in certain trades, trades where they were more skilled and more likely to be a better choice for getting the job. They were outlawed from working there. Now, that served two purposes. They couldn't get jobs that would have paid them and allowed them to do what they really wanted to do and be uh, well compensated for it. Second of all, it ensured that they couldn't find a job and they would end up being vagrants and end up being arrested and end up back on the plantation of being leased out to some company who needed to do something like building railroads and so many other things. And absolutely, what, what, what you have, uh, Community Solutions, PRO, uh, what you're talking about is uh, convict leasing was the precursor to mass incarceration in the private prison industrial complex, where now uh, inmates are being paid penny on the dollar for doing everything from textiles to uh, auto mechanics. They're even doing customer service. It's there are times that you don't even realize it. You're calling in for customer service and you're actually talking to an inmate. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, everything's being outsourced to inmates because you get penny on the dollars. You get very cheap labor. Uh, no employee complaints and so many other things that come along with being able to do that. But it started back with convict leasing. Now, you also have to realize that while they're making these codes, that's not the only codes. Then they have this thing called the apprenticeship uh, code. The apprenticeship code, to me, is the worst thing of all. Why? Because it targeted young black kids. The apprenticeship code 
allowed pe- whites in the South to take possession of minor black children. And it was supposed to be an orphan law, but the children didn't, the children didn't have to actually be an orphan. All they needed was a judge to declare that the parent, the biological parents of the child were unfit. Well, guess how many times that happened? So now white families have black children being reared up underneath them, working for them for free, cleaning, washing, doing all kinds of chores and everything like that. They got their own little house slave, but it's not really a slave. They're under their care, but they got to do work. That to me was like, wow, you separated these families. Again, something that went on in slavery that was very devastating uh, on a psychological level, stuff that we still haven't recovered from through uh, a number of different means of perpetuating uh, trauma multi uh, down the lines of multi-generational. So multi-generational trauma is real. Uh, I've written on that, uh, born in captivity, psychopathologist, legacy of slavery, and the undoing of the African-American mind. African-American of mine. Okay. So we know that. So we got all that's going on. Now, what happens is you can't build wealth when you have no access. Uh, Dr. King uh, said it like this. Once he realized what was going on and he totally switched, which ultimately ended up in his death, leading to his death. He says, it's, it's quite disingenuous to ask a man to pull himself up by his own bootstraps when he doesn't have boots. And ultimately, that's what we've been trying to do. You look at, and in, in this series, we're going to talk about redlining, urban renewal, benign neglect. We're going to talk about mass incarceration. We're going to talk about a bunch of, bunch of other serial force displacement, major issue. And uh, we're going to talk about all of those things and how they actually inhibit and block uh, our uh, attempts to build wealth. It's more than just, it's more than just uh, numbers. Okay. You got to do this. You got to invest this. Yes. There are ways to invest. There are certain things that will not acknowledge your race. You can go on and invest. However, uh, a, a lot of other things come into play where you live, is going to have a massive impact on your access to funding. Redlining still exists. They're just more subtle with it. And gentrification, a major uh, impact on how you're able to build wealth. There are fam- black families that are reporting that uh, incomparable incomparable uh, properties where they are trying to get an appraisal to sell their house uh, when, when uh, being compared to other properties that are comparable uh, comparative analysis. What they're finding is that white families are getting appraisals for the for comparable properties. Meaning that if you take the families out, square footage is the same, erection is basically the same. Uh, meaning that if it's a two story property compared to another two story property, same square footage, same vicinity, uh, they are whites are getting a significantly higher appraisal for their home than blacks. And to double down on it, what blacks did after getting the low appraisal is they took all proof of the fact that it was owned by a black family out. And in some instances, even got white friends to come in when the appraisal got there and the appraisal went up. Here's the flip side of it. Same house, low low resale appraisal, but higher tax appraisal. 
while whites got a lower tax appraisal and a higher resale value. That is not actually, that's systemic. And you have to understand, those are just some of the things you're working with. But when it came to black codes, we were hamstrung, we were hamstrung right out the gates. Ask anybody, ask anybody that uh, has done their history. I was literally reared by my great grandfather who was the son of a sharecropper. So I know the whole sharecropper story. My grandfather, my great grandfather was never able to get an education. Why? Because in, uh, in second grade at the age of seven, he had to drop out and go in the fields and work with his, his dad just to make ends meet because every year when it was time to settle up, they were always somehow in debt to the owner of the property that they were cropping, that they were sharecropping. And their mechanism after mechanism after mechanism after mechanism, here come these things that say, okay, we get to do this and we get to do that. So then it's like this. You keep giving head, you, you keep giving head starts to someone. You keep giving them the head start and the advantage. And you're holding this person in the gate. You're not letting them out. And then years later, you say, okay, you've got a 150-year head start. We're going to open the gates. And then ask them, what are you complaining about? You got, you're out the gate. All of the mechanisms are set in play. All of the mechanisms are set in play. I'm not out and I'm not on an equal playing field because they already have it set up. They own a, a X amount of percentage of the wealth already. That means they are making the rules because he who has the gold makes the rules. So they have the gold. They're making the rules and the rules are always giving them the advantage. Who wouldn't? If you have the power to set the rules, you're going to always make the rules in your favor. But then they gaslight you and tell you all you got to do is go out there and work. Well, no, if you're really careful and you grew up in the time I grew up, your parents were honest with you. They told you, baby, in order to have what they have, you're going to have to be three times better. You're going to have to work three times as hard. Why? Because the, the stack against you. Here's another primary example. A white man with a high school education out earns the black man with a four year college degree. And we're going to get into the whole education thing and how that literally turns us and leads us towards mass incarceration and how that impacts us because being being a sustained and nuclear family is a part of wealth building in many different ways. And we touch on all of this stuff in this book. But what I wanted to do is I just wanted to kind of introduce black codes and talk about how black codes literally hamstrung us straight out of the gate. So for the first 20 plus 30 plus years out of slavery, it wasn't even a chance because we couldn't own certain things, couldn't own properties, just start business, certain fields and uh, trades and areas of expertise we weren't even allowed to work in. That increased vagrancy because we couldn't get jobs. That got us locked up or it funneled us to low paying jobs that wouldn't allow us to sustain ourselves, didn't create any type of any, any type of surplus to invest in. And so here we are. Now, again, I want to make it clear that with this book and this project, this isn't about complaining. This isn't about pointing a finger and saying, oh, my God, whoa, it's me. It's about having an understanding of why we're where we're at, what we have to be aware of and to understand so that we don't become frustrated by how we have to move in order to do what we do. We can't do it exactly how they do it because the system was built for them. So what does that mean? That means that I have to actually 
move differently. I have to actually have a plan that acknowledges all of these blockages, but has a solution of how to maneuver and get around it legally so that I cannot be taken down because a bunch of us get frustrated and we go on the legal route and we may win for a minute and end up in a situation where we ultimately lose. So yes, Kendra, we do definitely need a new strategy. And that is a part of what this book is about. It's about saying, okay, let's look at what we're working against. And while we understand the basic uh, mechanisms of economic uh, strategy and economic science, we must also understand social science. We must also understand the psychology of money and wealth building. We must also understand how they operate. You got to understand, we're talking about a system where they're interworked and connected with one another, where they're pulling and pu pushing and helping one another at the same time, watching to make sure we don't follow in the path that they've created through a draft. And what we have to do is be smart enough to move in a stealth manner to where we are moving and doing it without the knowledge. Because I'll give you a prime example. We talk all the time about Tulsa. Tulsa was not this arbitrary phenomenon that people want to make it. Tulsa was what we would do if you left us alone and we realized we can't work with you. You won't give us a chance. We go build our own and we would thrive. It happened in Tulsa. It happened in Rosewood. It happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. It happened in parts of St. Louis and Chicago. It happened in Slocum, Texas. It happened in a number of other different places where we would simply do it. And in every situation, they found a way to incite a riot and call it a race war when really what it was was a massacre and the destruction of what we had built. Our growing and building is an intimidating force. And we have to understand that. We have to understand what we're working against. We have to understand who's looking and who's watching and what they're doing. What we've got to be willing to do is build the same with the same mindset economically about vertical economic. What vertical economics is, is understanding that when you only have the retail floor of an economic sphere, you are normally going to be priced out and you ultimately pushed out the business sphere. What is, what is vertical economics? Vertical group economics is when I don't only own the store, the distributor is also black owned, the manufacturer is also black owned. Now, what does that mean? That means that the prices should favor black people because this is what's happening in the beauty supply industry. The beauty supply industry, uh, the last I did my research was roughly a $15 billion a year industry. Um, what was crazy about it is 96%, roughly 14.4 billion of that is generated by blacks. So 14.4 billion out of five, out of 15 billion is black dollars. Yet blacks own roughly about three to 5% of the businesses in the industry. It's, it's, a, it's an industry dominated either by conglomerates like uh, the company, I forget the name of the company that owns Dove and Secret and all that, are by Asians. And so when you look at, especially like hair and beauty supplies and stuff like that, beauty supply stores, Asians, they own manufacturing and distribution especially, and they have the stores. So what happens is when I decide I want to get into the beauty supply, I want to open a beauty supply store. 
Well, I have to go to the distributor or the manufacturer to get it. And what happens? I get a price where an Asian is paying 96 per cent per unit. I'm getting a price where I'm paying $2.50 per unit. I can't compete. My people are going, but the morning is my people have limited money because of their limited income. So they got to cut dollars. They are going to, no matter how much they want to support me, go to where they can get it a lot cheaper. The cost of operating outside of a network as an independent is going to be heavy. So again, we're suffering because we don't have that. What you'll find is almost every other group, whether it be Jews, whether it be whites, whether it be uh, uh, Italians, whether it be uh, Latinos, whether it be Asians or Arabs, they work in a vertical sphere. Most of their money stays in that vertical sphere until they have to take it out. They spend within their vertical sphere. That's what making the dollar bounce means. I'm going to take this money that I earn and I'm going to spend it with a black uh, shoe repair company, a black cleaners, uh, a black grocer, a black. And now obviously you have to have these businesses and they have to be functioning in a way that you can get the things you want. The only time that I'm going to take my money out of here is when I absolutely need something that I cannot get within that sphere. So I'm going to keep spending. I'm not going to move horizontally unless I have to. I'm going to stay in the vertical sphere in every economic category within the total economic makeup. Now, that's just that. But what I want to talk about today, um, was the black codes And the next series is going to be about Jim Crow and the role Jim Crow played in and specifically in impacting our ability to build wealth. This is what this is about. This is what this project is about. This is what I want to do. I want to get the book done. And then I'm going to move into carrying out the principles that we outline in the book that will work despite what we're working against. That's the goal to create the strategies to bring it forth. Like I said, I'm uh, inviting everybody to be a sponsor. Uh, if you want to know what the sponsorship is, you can look in the uh, description box or click the link in the description box and go to the site and it will explain it. But basically anybody who sponsors becomes a sponsor for the book, whether it's 50 cents or $5,000 will have their name in the book along with whoever they decide to memorialize. I've had a few people who have memorialized people who have passed on. I've had a few people who have uh, acknowledged people who are living, wives, parents, uh, mentors, coaches, whatever it is. That's that's all in there. If you sponsor with twenty five dollars or more, you will be able to have uh, your name in there and receive a copy of the book. If you sponsor for one hundred dollars or more, you will uh, be able to have a dedicated page, meaning that your name and your memorial will be on a page of its own. If you sponsor for five hundred dollars, you not only get your own page and your, your your memorial, but you get to submit a picture to go along with it. Uh, this is going to be a big help in helping me uh, buffer some of the costs of uh, publishing because I own my own publishing company. So there's no author advance or anything like that. I just use what I do as a businessman to normally buffer this. But it, uh, if you guys want to be a part of it, I would love to have you. It would definitely help. Uh, if not, get the word out that the book is coming. Find your place in this. But from my tribe, those of you who have seen me do what I do, uh on social media since 2010 and in the community since uh over 30 years ago uh the work is there the books are there like i said this is book 25 
I haven't been sitting around doing nothing. And that that doesn't even include all the research I've done, articles, academic papers. Uh, I've got well over two 2,000 and something videos that I bring at no charge and I share and I give and I hopefully inspire, encourage, but also give direction so that people can actually take it and go do something with it. And so this is just a way of me saying, hey, come partner with me. And so uh, I've put the uh, I've put the link. If you just want to go directly and do it without having to read anymore, the link is going to be in the chat. If you want to learn more about it before you do it, you can go to the site. You can click that and do that. Uh, but whatever you do, uh, tune into this series, because, again, next time we're going to talk specifically about Jim Crow and how Jim Crow impacted negatively impacted our attempts to build wealth in this country. On that note, I'm going to get ready to check out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day.